uh, hey, it's good to see you guys. And we are in this, this journey with Israel, with ancient Israel. And the journey right now has taken us into the story called the Exodus. Um, we've been looking at this for a past couple of weeks. And, and in each week, we're going to be just taking another segment of what this story is about and why it's so formative. Because you've got to get this straight. What the death and resurrection of Jesus is to us as New Testament believers, the story of the Exodus was to Old Testament believers. It is that significant and foundational, which means it was that significant and foundational to Jesus too. And a little bit later today, we'll get, about, get, get to some things about how, how his own mission is, is rooted in this story. Now, for the uninitiated here, the story of the Exodus is a story of God seeing his people suffering. It's about a God who, who notices suffering and he sees his people in suffering in Egypt and he comes down and he delivers them out of Egypt with all kinds of miracles and signs and wonders and acts of power. And he brings them out of Egypt. He brings them through a sea. He brings them through a desert. And he brings them to a promised land. Now, if you're looking in a Bible, the story of the Exodus begins in Exodus, but it doesn't end there. The story of the Exodus begins in Exodus, but it stretches all the way to the beginning chapters of actually Joshua, about five books later on. And the bulk of this story, at least when you, you count it like words on a page, is spent in one specific place. And that place is the wilderness. So to visualize this, let me just show you the map again. God brings... Israel out of here, a place that is green and good, and he brings them here to another place that is green and good. But to get from here to here, you have to cross through this place here, which is not green and is not good. This is the wilderness. And when you come to the story of the Exodus and you actually look at it in terms of words on a page... The bulk of the story takes place in this place, right here. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The desert, the wilderness, the deserts and wildernesses of life. Now, this place was not just something to get through. For God, it had a purpose. Now, for Israel, don't get me wrong, it was just a place to get through, and get through as quickly as we possibly can. But for God, it had a different purpose. And here's how I'd like you to think about the desert today. Desert, wilderness, they're synonymous, okay? Here's how I'd like you to think about the desert today. Think about it like boot camp. The desert is a spiritual boot camp. Okay, what's boot camp? Anyone been to boot camp? Okay, wow. Um... <laughs> Lucky for the rest of us, right? I haven't either. But as I've read about it, as I've talked to people, family members, friends who have military, other people, boot camp is described to me like this. A, not a fun place, right? But B, a place with a purpose. I mean, is it just some drill sergeants looking to torture people and get their kicks for nine to 12 weeks? Well, maybe once in a while, but... But more fundamentally, what is its purpose? Well, 
The purpose of boot camp is to take people from all different kinds of walks in life, coming with their own physical weaknesses, their own behavioral weaknesses, and it is to break them down in order to build them back up, in order to be the kind of soldier that they are going to need to be when the missions start happening. From what I'm told, boot camp is harsh. It's strict. It's very letter of the law. Boot camp is about teaching you how to obey. How to follow orders. How to conform to the greater system that is trying to accomplish the missions and defense that are necessary at hand. And, I, and, and, and don't forget this. Boot camp is not the end. That's why it's called basic training, not just training. See, boot camp is just the beginning. But it's the beginning that gets everyone at a, in a fundamental base place to make them the kind of soldier that they need to be so they can actually start doing the missions and get trained for the missions that are going to come before them. The wilderness is a lot like that. Think of the wilderness this morning as spiritual boot camp. Now, God brings Israel out of Egypt, and they take about a three-month journey, stopping and starting, stopping and starting, camping and regrouping along the way, and God brings them to this mountain called Sinai, all right? And at Sinai, God appears to them in a way that just like smokes Egypt. It just, it blows away the miracles and the signs and the wonders that they've seen in Egypt. It's like, God going, you think that was something? You ain't seen nothing yet. And God comes to them at Sinai and he enters into the people of, he enters into a new covenant with the people of Israel. And let me give you a snapshot of it here this morning. From Exodus 19, it said, the Lord called to Moses from the mountain and said, this is what you're to say to the house of Jacob. Jacob changes his name to Israel. You get that, right? This is what you're to say to Israel. What you tell these people. You've seen what I did to Egypt. How I carried you out on eagle's wings. And how I brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully. And keep my covenant. All the nations. All the nations of this earth. Out of all the nations. You will be for me a treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine. You will be for me. And here it is. Here's their mission statement. Here's what God is training them to be. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Here's the problem. Just because you come out of something doesn't mean that you don't take it with you. Right? Israel came out of Egypt. But how much of Egypt was still ingrained in Israel? You know, I, I, I think about it. Have you ever found yourself in a situation like this? Thinking to yourself, you find yourself in a bad situation, and you think to yourself, if I could just get out of this, if I could just get out of this situation, everything is going to be great. Everything is going to be better. Maybe it's a mountain of debt that you've gotten yourself into. Maybe you find yourself in, in, in a relationship that seems to have zero hope. 
Maybe you find yourself in a job situation or a life situation where it's just like this is miserable and you feel like Israel calling out to God in Egypt, praying if God could just get me out of this, everything would be better. You don't have to raise your hands on this, but you ever feel that way? Man, I certainly have. You know what I found? When I think that way and when other people think that way, they come to that new situation, that new relationship, that new setting, that new whatever it is, that taste of freedom. And they bring all that other stuff with them. They bring all that baggage and past and history with them because it's one thing to get ourselves out of a situation. It's another thing to get the situation out of us. It's one thing to get Israel out of Egypt. It's another thing to get Egypt out of Israel. You know, as Mike Brady wisely put, wherever you go, there you are. Right? It's kind of like, sometimes I feel like life is like being a hog farmer or a coal miner. You can come out of the barn or you can come out of the mine, but the dust and the stink, it's like in your pores. It just clings to you. And no matter what you do, it's a part of you. And so for God, the exodus is not just about getting Israel out of Egypt. It is just as much about getting Egypt out of Israel. Does that make sense? Unfortunately for Israel... It was a slow lesson learned. Now, a lot of people get this mistaken idea that it is like this 40-year journey from here to here. It's 300 miles. At 10 miles a day, which I think is a reasonable place, you could do it in a month and still stop for afternoon tea. All right? I mean... But God, when he brings them to Sinai, do you know how long he leaves them camping there? For a solid year. And God starts laying out to them, this is what it means to be my people. This is how you're to live and how to act and how to be. This is what it means to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. This is what it means to be a chosen people of God. Now, after a year of training at Sinai, a year of, of hearing it and having it sinking in and, and processing through it, God starts leading them out. And he starts leading them out right up to the brink of this green space right in here. It says they come to this little desert region called Paran, P-A-R-A-N. And while they're there, Moses starts sending scouts into the promised land because you know what? Boot camp is done. It's time to come into the promise. And he starts sending scouts in to do some recon in the land to see how best are we going to take this land? How best are we going to come in? Now you come to this part of the story in Numbers 13 and look at what the scouts come back and say. They say this. There we go. They go, whoa, wait a minute. The people who live there are powerful, the people in this promised land. Because you know what? Just because God says he's going to give you something doesn't mean it's just, okay, right there. They come to the promised land, and, and Moses, wait a minute. The pe- there's, there's people there, and they're powerful. Their cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. No, not Anak. That, that's the reaction you're supposed to have, okay? <laughs> 
We can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. The land we explored devoured those living in it. All the people we saw there were, were, were giant. We, we saw the Nephilim, not, not the Nephilim. Ooh, give me an ooh. Ooh. Right? Right? Are you feeling it? Are you feeling it? We saw the Nephilim there, and I love this line. Uh, you know, the descendants of Anak were like grasshoppers to them. <laughs> and they looked the same to us. And you know what the scouts do? We're not going in there. We are not going in there. And for like the 10th time on this journey, you know what they say? See Moses, see Aaron, string them up. Stone them. They deceived us. Egypt, man, we got to eat in Egypt. At least there was a Nephilim in Egypt. At least Egypt was predictable. It might have been rough in Egypt, but at least we could live with it. What are you doing, Moses? And they rebel against him on the spot. Now, I want you to turn to one of the most pivotal chapters in the Old Testament with me. You'll find it at Numbers 14, right on the cusp of what happens here. Turn with me to Numbers 14. I encourage you to follow along because it's a longer chapter, but all of it is significant. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, you hit Deuteronomy too far, all right? Numbers 14. Numbers 14. In response to this, it says, That night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly and said, If we had only died in Egypt or in this wilderness... Why is Yahweh bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children, they're going to be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better? Come on, guys. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader. Which, of course, means get rid of that leader. And go back to Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of whoever he is, were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes, and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If Yahweh is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against Yahweh. Do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but Yahweh is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Have you ever felt like a lone voice in the wilderness when everyone is crying the opposite? If so, you can put yourself into Joshua and Caleb's shoes, the only two of the spies who went in. But in verse 10, it says, the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of Yahweh appeared at the tent of meeting to all Israel. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe me in spite of the signs I performed? I'm going to strike them down with a plague and destroy them. I will make you into a greater nation and stronger than they. 
But Moses said to Yahweh, God, if you do this, the Egyptians are going to hear about it. By your power, you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of the land about it. They've already heard that you, Yahweh, are with these people, and that you, Yahweh, have been seen face to face, that your cloud stays over them, that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. You know, God was doing that for them the entire time in the wilderness. If you put these people to death all at one time, the nations who have heard about this report, who who have heard this report about you will say, Yahweh wasn't able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath. So he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Yahweh, your reputation is on the line. Have you ever prayed to Yahweh like that? Moses has got some guts, you know? (laughs) 17. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared. Yahweh is slow to anger, abounding in love, and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt into now. So Yahweh replied, Okay. I have forgiven them as you have asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of Yahweh fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times. How many plagues in Egypt? Hmm. Who tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt, will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and followed me wholeheartedly, I'll bring him into the desert, or into the land he went into, and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints... So tell them, as surely as I live, I will do to you the very thing I have heard you say. You asked for it, I'll give it. Stay in the desert. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you who's 20 years old and more, who has counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand, to make your home except Caleb and Joshua. As for your children that you said you would be, that would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land that you have rejected. But you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. For 40 years, one year For each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is to have me against you. It's moments like that that you wish you explored the land for a week. (laughs) 
I, Yahweh, have spoken. And I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community which is banded together against me. They will meet their end in this wilderness. Here they will die. You know what it reminds me of? Reminds me of a parent with a 14-year-old kid who from the time of his 14th birthday is obsessed with the freedom of driving. And from the time he hits 14, hey, dad, can I drive? Hey, mom, can I try the car? Hey, mom, it's no big deal. Hey, let's go to the parking lot. No, you're not 15 yet. And he waits and he complains and he waits and he complains and he complains and he complains and he complains. 15 comes around, he gets his permit. They finally let him taste what it feels like to drive. Hey dad, can this car be mine? Can you get me a car? I'm going to be 16 in 363 days. Can you buy me a car for my birthday? You better buy me a car for my birthday. If you loved me, you'd buy me a car for my birthday. I'm not doing chores anymore until you buy me a car for my birthday. I know it's 363 away, but I can drive. I've got a permit. I'm good. When can Right? We've been there. Yeah? Maybe the situation is different. You ever been around people like that? You ever want to drive them to the middle of the desert too and drop them off? (laughs) And imagine what it's like for that dad to actually say, you know what? He doesn't know it. But on 16, I'm buying him a car. I'm buying him a car unlike any other thing. It's going to be with an Italian name, you know? Ferrari, Maserati. It's going to have some kind of E at the end. It's going to be cherry red. And he's got a plan. There's going to be a bow. It's going to be sitting out there until a week before the birthday. And the son sneaks out. He steals the keys because he knows he can drive. And he takes mom and dad's car out for a joyride. And he gets caught. And you know what the wilderness experience is like? It's like that dad saying, you know what? I'm still buying the car. But it's going to sit there in the driveway every day for 40 years with a big red bow on top. So that every morning when you go to catch the bus for school, you see what you have missed. Because sometimes you just have to do boot camp over and over and over again. It's not a case that God didn't forgive them. He did. He said so. But you know, a passage like this should give each of us warning. Because even though God is gracious and God forgives it is a catastrophic mistake to think that there is no such thing as consequence for sin. See, God's primary job for Israel was not to make them happy. It was to make them holy because he had a mission for them and they would be dead meat if they weren't. God had a job to do and it was to make Israel holy. Holy. And if that meant having to stay in the wilderness to do boot camp again and again and again, God was going to do it. Because that's how much Israel meant to him. Now those of you here, I know that you have your deserts too. 
Each of us in this life are going to find ourselves in periods where we feel like we are in this wasteland. This wasteland that is void of God and void of life and void of meaning. And we feel like we are wandering aimlessly in the wilderness. And I want to tell you, God isn't just trying to get you through the wilderness. He has got a plan for you there. And oftentimes, like Israel, it's a boot camp. It's to make you holy. Because God's goal for you is not first and foremost to make you happy either. It's to make you holy. And if you're willing to take God as a word, the great irony of it is holiness is better by far. I like how Paul in the New Testament picks up on this theme. Look at what he says. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, that our forefathers, our ancestry, were all under the cloud as they passed through the sea. You hearing the Exodus reference here? They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. You know, we get baptized in water. They got baptized in water too, except theirs was billions and billions of gallons. And they all communed like we commune. They ate spiritual food and drink. We call it communion. They called it manna. And you know what? That manna was Christ. But God wasn't pleased with most of them. And they got numbered 14 Right? Look at that last line. These things occur as examples to keep us from doing what they did. Setting our hearts on evil things. Because God's forgiveness is limitless. But the reality is there's still consequence oftentimes for sin. And it's in those consequences that sometimes we have to face who we've become. The Egypt that still resides in here. As God seeks to train and hone and develop. And and, and ironically, as much as it should give warning, it should give you hope. You know why? Because it means that God doesn't quit. It means that God doesn't quit. On you. You know, it was in the wilderness that that God dwelt with his people in a way unlike anything else they ever experienced. It was in the wilderness that he showed himself at Sinai. It was in the wilderness that he spoke more words to them than Jesus. It was in the wilderness that he came down from a mountain to live in a tent. When does God live in a tent? But he did. He went slumming it with Israel. He went to live in the desert too. Right there in the midst of them. And it was in the desert that he guided them, directed them, protected them, revealed himself to them, provided for them, and showed them the character of who he was. And showed them the character of what they were called to be. God comes into the desert. Which leads us to Jesus. 
Because you might remember also in the New Testament a story about deserts with him. After the spiritual high point where Jesus is baptized, it says God cast him into the desert. He didn't just wander out there. God threw him into the desert because it was boot camp time. And he was out there for how long? Seeing it? Being tempted just like Israel was. And he was with the wild animals. And angels attended him. Because God goes into the desert, but where you fail, he does not. Where we collapse, he thrives. And you know what God does, guys? He comes into the desert and reverses it. He turns it on its head and makes it a dwelling place of the presence of God unlike anything. Are you in a desert today? I got news for you. God's in that desert too. And so in closing, maybe I should just read these words from Hebrews that we heard earlier one more time. So as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. Maybe you're in a desert now. If not, I can all but guarantee you other deserts will come. Rather than curse God and grumble, I encourage you to something. Let God hone you out there. Let him mold you and form you and come to you. And instead of seeing it as a spiritual wasteland, see it as an amazing place of the presence of God doing incredible things that would never come to pass without it.